So we are now um, dealing with, in many ways, I mentioned last time that there are many major areas or topics of Hashkofa. I went through a whole series of them, and all those topics or categories, in many ways, can organize all the different ideas that the Ramchal brings down. Okay? Um, just to uh, mention them again, you know, just to go over it, that there are certain, there are categories that encompass the entire area of Hashkafa. The first one is called God, the nature of God, the study of the Rabbani Islam, who he is, what we know about him, and his relationship to this world. Second concept, the category is called man. Who is that individual that God wants uh, to be at a, in a future state? Third category after man is the concept of ilm habo, the future world. And that's a study of what it is, what is the future world, um, and what a person does there, what the whole point of it, what the nature of it is. And uh, then I mentioned the concept of what's called namdik sufa, which is the bread of shame. And that is the whole idea that a person has to earn his reward. And uh, so that's the whole concept, what's called bread of shame, Namik Sufa, which I spoke about, I gave a whole year about that. And as a result of that, both the concept of the world of Ilm Haba and the concept of bread of shame <coughs> determines the concept of what the creation will look like in order to bring this about. So that's again a topic. What exactly is the Bria, the creation? What are all the components, the interactions, the properties, the characteristics of everything in creation? That includes Kabbalah uh, and, and, and the physical world because that is really what creation is. And that's all determined by what the future world will be. Then we have the concept of the task. Okay, what does a person do? What is his task? During his task, there are two fundamental components that a person has to have in order to do the task required of him. One is a concept called free will, which is a whole area in itself, because a person has to be responsible for his acts. A second idea is the concept called inclinations. Yetzirah, Yetzirah, so he cannot just sit back and be passive, right? It forces him to interact with the world and therefore to choose the whole concept of two yitzros or two inclinations. Then we have, of course, the concept that what are his actions? Well, now he has to do something. So what are his acts? And the actions really include the whole progression of man, the whole progression of the entire world, all the actions of every person uh, comprising some type of a totality and that in many ways is the history of mankind the history of mankind is nothing more than a progression of people doing their actions to try to fulfill a specific task so that's the category of the topic called actions then of course God waits for the actions of man who has free will and then you have the, ta the topic called the consequences which basically is the judgment. Okay. 
the consequences of what does God do to respond to the acts of man. And that's the concept in many ways that the Ramchal is going to deal with in these chapters. What are the consequences of the behavior of mankind, especially the Jews? Then you have a concept called the Tikkun, the actual rectification itself, which is really ultimately the end product of the task. The concept of Tikkun, restoration, and that of course involves the perfected state of mankind, that involves the whole concept of the Messianic era, because the Messianic era can only take place when the universe, when the whole world will be perfected, which is the Tikkun itself. Uh, then after the Tikkun, of course, you have, well, you have Oilam Haba, the future world. So basically, those are all the topics that embrace all the ideas that Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato in his book, Derech Hashem, and even the other book called Das Tunis, that's really what they're all about. I mean, I just outlined, I think it was 13 of them, 13 different topics that outlines the entire area of Hashkafa. Okay? And within that, of course, as I mentioned, one of them is called the Bria, the creation. And that involves the physical universe and the spiritual universe, which is the whole study of Kabbalah. You see? So everything sort of like neatly fits into one of those 13 categories. And it's a great way of organizing. So next time when you learn Ramchal, whichever Sefer you learn, whichever book you learn, you can easily organize, okay, which topic is he now speaking? See? So you never get lost. If not, you're going to get lost. Because there's so many different ideas. You have to know where they fit. Okay? That's a very important organization. Great. Okay. Now the Ramchal again, uh, he is now talking mostly about the idea of what the task is and what are the consequences. So he begins uh, in uh, Perak Sheni, second Perak of the second Chalik, okay, the concept of the circumstances of an individual man in this world. And most specifically, the Jewish people. <coughs> okay. So, remember I said last time, what determines everything? And the answer to that is, the end determines what the entire setup will be. The end is a place called the future world, the world to come, right? And uh, what is the state of man in the future world? And from that determines everything that has to be, and so on. Now, one of the important ideas which we know is since in order to have the best possible future world, a person has to earn what he does, what he will get in the future world. And I mentioned that's the whole concept of bread of shame, you see, so he has to earn it. So therefore, that we know necessitates that the creation must involve two stages. It must involve a place where a person can work, do the job, and the second thing, a place where a person can then enjoy whatever the rewards are of what he did, which is the future world. And that's why we have two different places. 
That's why we have an Ilm Hazeh, which is this world, and why we have an Ilm Haba, which is the future world. You see, because he must earn the reward that he gets in the future world. And this world is therefore the world of work, and that world is the world of uh, reward for his efforts. So that's a very, obviously, a very important goal. <coughs> now, I also mentioned a very important idea that the objective of God is not just to have an one person in the future world. He wants to have a community. And that necessitates many ideas. In other words, not just one guy. He wants many, many people to be in the future world. We can look at it as a community. And therefore, as I said, that will alter a lot of different ideas, necessities that must take place in order to have not just one person, but many people in the future world. Okay, now we know that basically the future world is really in many ways the place for the Jewish people because they're the ones who will have rectified creation. However, it can include really anybody. Doesn't that, you know, it could be a non-Jewish person and he will uh, be rewarded with to whatever extent he assists the Jews that they should do their tikkun, the rectification, the restoration of God's presence in this world. That is the tikkun. To whatever extent he contributed to the Jewish people. And in fact, I even made, made, uh, made a statement last time that if a guy, a non-Jew, wants to be in the future world, he should try in whatever way he can to assist the Jewish people to do their mitzvahs, their commandments, and that they should do what they have to do. And unless, if he doesn't want to become Jewish, that is, unless he wants to become Jewish. But if he doesn't want to become Jewish, then that's what he has to do in order to get into the future world. It's all about doing the tikkun, but since the primary agents of that tikkun, the rectification process of the Jewish people, he should assist a Jew in whatever way he can. Besides the fact, of course, that he himself can be righteous. Obviously, you know. The key concept is the concept of tikkun, which is to bring the, the uh, presence of God back into this world. And that's really the major way that uh, these that uh, anybody really can get the fu can get the future world. There's a question here. Yeah, wait. You want to? Uh, but yeah. uh, is that when you said uh, God wants a community in all of my world. Yes. If Adam didn't commit the chet, then he had. If what? If, if what? Adam didn't eat from the tree of good and evil. Yes. Would there be a community? Is that it, what you're asking? It would be just one guy? No. No, no, no. Ramchal says, and other people say also, no. Adam would have had children that would be together with him in a perfected state in the future world. There would always, the intent of God was always there should be a community, but Adam, or he himself, could have rectified the whole creation by himself. This was the plan. However, he failed. And therefore, all his kids now have to do what he could have done. Okay, yes, stand correct. Anyway, that's fine. What? Well, that in itself is a study, but apparently he would have corrected Namdik Sufa, right, for everybody besides himself. Because everybody is part of his neshama. 
whatever that is, is part of his soul, and so on. They don't, they don't clearly explain, hardly anybody talks about Namanik Sufa. This is the real problem. I gave a whole sheer about it, what it is, and so on, and how it works, and why there is Namanik Sufa. Right. Why should anybody have to earn his reward? Why should he feel embarrassed? I get a whole sheer on that. So nobody talks about, well, how would that have rectified or corrected? You never find that somebody can rectify somebody else's Namanik Sufa. What was that? We never find, as far as, I mean, I, I have limited knowledge, but even I talk to you about it, it doesn't seem that there's any problem. No. We see in Olam Hazav where somebody rectifies somebody else's Namanik Sufa. I'll tell you, the principle. Cleans, cleans up the mess caused by the, the, the I'll tell you, but I can tell you what the principle is, although it's not clear how it works. The principle of how somebody, A, can do a job for B, right, is because ultimately they're all one Shama. That's why Yecheskel, for instance, Hanovi, can suffer, right? And his suffering atones for thousands of people. So that's the same idea, because this man is undertaking the responsibility, wait, the responsibility to allow other people to enjoy whatever consequences, whether that be their punishment is now diminished, but that's Namadik Sufa. Because they, if they had to suffer and they didn't suffer, then there's a, a certain kind of bread of shame that they never did it, you see? So the principle is that everybody is one neshama. How that works is not clear. But that's really the ultimate underlying principle, you see? That we're really all one soul. It's called Knesset Yisrael, or whatever. And that's why it can be done. But so it's not clear how it works. So Christianity didn't, didn't just make something up, they actually stole something. Well, Christianity stole a lot of stuff. They stole a lot of the whole concept of redemption. I mean, come on, that's, uh, I mean, uh, their guy, Yeshu, he was Jewish, he knew this stuff. You know, and, uh, and uh, Paul, Paul was Jewish also. They were all Jewish people, and at that point in time, they had, a, they had knowledge of Judaism. This was, uh, you know, and they were able to use Jew Jewish ideas, right, and the way they wanted to bring it to the Christians. I once told you what Christianity is, you know. So what they did is they took paganism and they Judaized paganism. That's really what it is. Christianity is a Jewish veneer of paganism. That's why there's so many Christian holidays that are really pagan. Christmas, Saturnalia, I go through the whole rigmarole. What? The one coming up. What's coming up? Well, no, Halloween is All Saints Day. I'm not clear about how they... They have all these uh, demons and all that, Those witches and all that, that stuff. <coughs> yeah, I'm not clear. I once knew the origin of that, but most Christian holidays are, are what do you call, are pagan origin. That's what they are. It's a pagan treatment of Shemina's What? It's a pagan treatment of Shemina's What is? Halloween. I don't know. I don't call what Halloween is. Halloween, you have the Malachim and Okay, I mean, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, but anyway, that's the principle of, uh, actually, Halloween's pretty soon, isn't it? 1027? It's the last day in October, isn't it? Yeah, some of yeah. Okay, well, I'd say, yeah. Um, <coughs> anyway, the, 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 there has to be a community it's not that God wants one guy in Oilam Habo. No. Like I said, there's the concept of a community in the future world. And that's why there's certain ideas 
that one person can suffer for others so therefore more people can get into the future world see that that affected the fact that one person can mechaper atone for other people and as a result of that that sort of like guarantees that many people can get into the future world exactly you see so there are phenomena that exist in order to make sure that there is a community in the future world you know or uh, somebody can do a mitzvah and that can cover other people you know and, and so on you could what's called mazaka others you know you could uh, give merit to many people and that itself will allow other people to get in the future world all kinds of phenomena that exist in Judaism to allow the concept of a community to be in the future world you see <coughs> and so on now <coughs> So what do we begin to understand? We begin to understand that there's a future world where, which is the ultimate experience, and I once mentioned what that is. It's infinite bliss eternally. It's really the whole future world, whatever the infinite bliss consists of, but it's infinite bliss eternally. It never stops. You know, you think about eternally, it's like it's, you can't wrap yourself around that idea because even if a quadrillion years pass, it hadn't begun because it's infinite. You, can't, you, it's very, you, you cannot wrap yourself around the concept of what infinity is. It just never ends. So it doesn't make a, it doesn't make a difference how many years passed. It just never ends, you see. So, um, I mean, it's just... Uh, it's, it's an, uh, what, 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 forget whether it's in time or outside of time doesn't make a difference it goes on forever that's all you have to know you know whether there's a concept of time or not it never ends is there a concept how do you wrap yourself around that idea what is there a concept of change yes yes because i mentioned the interesting thing about Habo, the future world is that um a person in let's say one moment will not be the same person in another moment. He will grow. You see? He will expand and so on and so forth. We don't understand what that means. You see, um, the world which is called Adam Kadmon or Ak, which is the Kabbalistic world of the future world, is infinite. Means something happens in that world that is an infinite growth. Let's take a look at Oilam Hazer, which is very interesting. And you begin to understand, not only is this world a world of work, that's really what it is, okay? The question is, what determines God's acts? Remember, I mentioned one of the categories which we went through is the concept of consequences. Consequences of a person's acts is called judgment or evaluation. God looks at each person's acts after he performs. And he looks at it and says, okay, what should be my response? That's a concept of judgment. You see? Now, when you begin to understand that, you begin to understand something very important. A person's acts can only be one of two kinds. There's no middle, which is interesting. Either the person's act is classified as good, or it's classified as evil. There's no in-between. 
Now, there are degrees of good and there are degrees of evil, right? But that's the only two categories or classifications of a person's deeds, okay? That's what God did, does, and so on and so forth. It's interesting to offer a definition of good and evil. Anybody know what good is? What's a good definition of good? Oh, wow. How did I pull that one off? What's a decent definition or an accurate definition of good? Well, Anybody know? No, 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 no. Leave God out of this. Do me a favor. Just, yeah, yeah, just give me the definition of good. Anybody have an idea? It doesn't make a difference if it's relative, even if it's not your relative. No, 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 no. You know, it no, 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 no. Look, absence of evil. You know, a cannibal. You can't define something by its absence. I'm sorry. It's like saying, what is day? Well, it's the absence of night. Well, I still don't, is. But I don't know what good is. I don't know what day is. What have you accomplished? I just know what it's not. Something That's not a definition. Beneficial to the recipient. To the who? Something that's beneficial to a recipient. Would be good to a squirrel. It's good. It's beneficial. Okay, you're on the way. The definition of good is to enhance, to promote being. It's what it is. To enhance being, in some way, right? That's the concept of good. It's what it is. What is being? That which is. So therefore, to enhance it, you know. Um, it's, it's, a it's, a, it's a larger term than benefit. To enhance means in some way to promote, to make it better. Whatever that means, a being, whatever is, is a good. Now, the evil would be the reverse. To deny, to negate, to diminish being is an evil. You see? Those are the two ideas of what is good and what is evil. Okay, wait, right? Okay, therefore, <clears throat> a person's acts can be classified either as good or evil, or degrees of good or degrees of evil, you see, <clears throat> okay? And what God does when he evaluates, the first thing he will do is to evaluate what is this act? Is it good or is it evil? What is specific to God, okay, is that in that sense, is what the person did, can it be classified as a mitzvah, as a commandment, you see? Or can it be classified as the opposite of a mitzvah, okay, which is a sin? That's what God looks. He looks at the morality, okay, or the status of a deed in terms of good or evil. Specifically, a mitzvah or an avera. Every person's acts will fit somewhere into that. You see? For instance, you know, uh, and, and, and what you see it in Mesilah Sisham, you know? You know, a person's walking, right? And he's walking and he wants to go somewhere, right? Right? So he's walking somewhere. Can you evaluate that? Is it good or is it not good? 
What is it? He's walking. That's where he's going. What? That's where he's going at the word purpose. No. Well, that's certainly true, but the walking itself, how would you categorize that or classify it? It's mysterious, isn't it? But the truth is, every nanosecond of a person's existence can be a mitzvah or maybe a non-mitzvah. How? Because there are six mitzvahs which you can practice constantly to love God, to fear God, right? To think about God. You know what I'm saying? So, or, so therefore, when a person is walking, is he thinking about God? Is he doing any of those six mitzvahs which can be constant, you see? So in that sense, walking, which is an action, right, can be considered a good deed. Or it can be considered not evil, but absent of a good deed, which is probably the bottom rung of evil. It's the least evil, because the guy's walking, and he's not in any way taking advantage of that this could be good, a mitzvah. See, that's how God would look at it. I mean, obviously, it's infinite, you see? But the truth is, is that because there are mitzvahs that can be done, right, just from every second, so therefore any per thing which a person does, which is neutral, right, neutral, can also be considered, you know, is it good in the sense that, right, it has some type of divinity in it, mitzvah in it, right, or none. And even though it seems to be, well, you know, uh, who cares really, you know, it's almost trivial in that sense, but not really, you see? So in that way, a person, it can be evaluated. Therefore, if you think about it, <clears throat> every second of a person's life is a test, you see? What is he gonna do in that second? You see what I'm saying? I'm not, even I'm not talking about acts which are clearly good or bad. You know, let's say a guy steals, you know? You know, a guy's doing a mitzvah, let's say he's doing a chesed, you know? That, that's obvious. But the truth is, anything a person does, you know, on a waking basis, can be looked at, is it good or bad? Not bad, really evil, but certainly not good. You see, in that sense, you know, well, he could have been doing mitzvah. He could have been thinking about God and how great God is, you see? But he's not thinking about that, although it's not an evil, but it's certainly not a mitzvah, it's not good. Maybe that's the, that's the like, you know, the, the, the smallest amount of evil, evil being a very broad term. You know, it's not evil the way we think about it, but not good is also, in a certain sense, bad. So instead of calling it evil, let's just call it bad. You know, that's how exact and accurate are the skills of God. So this is what God does. Every single thing a person does in his waking moments, okay, can be evaluated based on the fact, is it good or bad or evil? Does it enhance or does it detract being in that sense? Does it bring a person closer to God? or not closer at all, or maybe distancing a person from God, you see. So what happens is, 
This is what God looks at. This is what God judged, which is amazing. You know what I'm saying? That's how tight, you see, that's how tight, that's how pervasive is the judgment of God. You see? Now, if that's the case, you know, when a person is going through life, obviously, what's going to happen? Right? If you, if you stack up all his deeds, what's going to happen? Right? Either the majority is going to go good, or the majority will be no good. We wind up with a majority here, you see. Right? Certainly by the time the lifetime of a person ends, well, God can look instantly at the majority and say, well, what is it? Was it good? Remember, good is a very broad term. Or was it bad or evil, which is a very broad term, right? And what God, now, so that's what, that's the scrutiny, the evaluation of God. That is how pervasive it is. It's far beyond what we can imagine. It's good. God measures time in nanoseconds. You see, we don't, you know, we measure time in what? In years or whatever, you know, days, months, you know. God measures time in, in words, while you live, every nanosecond of your life has meaning. To us, we, we can't imagine that. Every second has meaning, you know. Take me 15 minutes to get out of bed. You know what I'm saying? What, so how could that, what meaning does it have? You know? No. What? Oh, yeah, a lot of nanoseconds, right? Wake up and smell the coffee. Anyway, so what God does is he evaluates every nanosecond. That's how pervasive is the judgment or his evaluation, you see? So it comes out that if that's how pervasive is his judgment, far beyond what we can imagine, you know? I mean, I'm not saying this to scare you. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm doing a good job, right? But all, all I'm saying is that, you know, uh, look, don't worry. Don't worry about that. I mean, God knows who we are and how far we are from doing, you know, anything decent and righteous and so on, you know. He knows what our tribulations are, our trials, our difficulties. Believe me, he knows it better than we do. But I'm just saying on the scales of his view, it's a nanosecond view. And he adds it up. You see? And at the end of a given lifetime, right, there's going to be a majority and a minority. Right? There will not be an equality here. I mean, I don't know if there may be one person in all the billions of people that were born that was exactly equal. I mean, what are the odds? You know, when you look at this kind of a formula, right? Not much, obviously, you know? But obviously, most people will have a majority of something. Either it's the majority of the good or majority of the bad, if you want to look at it that. Using good and bad very broadly. Baby right? Child dies in childbirth. That's. No, no, no. Put that as. I'm not dealing with exceptions. Let me just give you the general principle. Right? Ah, come on, you need the rule before you get into it, right? So, therefore, now what does God decide? Now what happens? And this, in many ways, is in many ways determines uh, a person's station or position. So the first thing God decides, okay, 
every act I need to evaluate on this scale. One. Two. In the end, or after a given moment, let's say after 15 years, whatever the time limit is, right? God will know, is this guy's majority good, or is the majority evil? You see? So, here's the rule, very important rule. The majority gets you as a member of the future world, that's what does it. Not the minority. In other words, you need to have a majority of what's called good right and then you are a member of the future world what's called that community okay if your majority is good you're in if the majority is evil whatever that means right you're out you do not get the future world the opposite of the future world is annihilation annihilation there is no alternative to the future world. You're either in or you are out. There's no in-between. Forget Gehenim, forget all that. We're not even into that. But I'm just telling you now, there's only one of two places you can wind up. The second being a non-place. Either you wind up in the future world or you, you cease to exist. That's it. Okay? What a, what a, what a uh, what's called a dichotomy. You want an extreme dichotomy, right? Either you're in, which means e not only you exist, but you exist eternally. Wow. Right? And then the second thing, not only do you not exist, but you do not exist eternally. <coughs> you see? means It's over. Whatever that is, right? Uh, and that's it. That's the formula. That is where you, so that is the objective. Either you're in or you're out. What determines if you're in or you're out? The majority. Now remember, the majority is both quality and quantity. You may do one deed that weighs more than somebody's thousand deeds. Right? So it's not, we're, talk, we're not talking about quantity. It's the quality. And only God knows the quality of what you do. You see? What determines the quality? And the answer is the mysterious nefesh the self-sacrifice actually there are two things the quality is determined by right what mitzvah you do clearly if you, if you observe Shabbos that's a very high quality mitzvah right number one but what happens if it requires incredible sacrifice to observe Shabbos then you've intensified and elevated the mitzvah of observing Shabbos enormously so those are the two fundamental criteria what is the mitzvah one and what do you have to give up to do it and only God can determine what you have to give up you know because the, the variables here are, are almost you know uh, just innumerable can't count you, you know can you say that amidst the quality quote unquote of the mitzvah is but notice but you yourself just said because you don't know which is bigger and less so that means Shabbos that, but that, that automatically means that there there are variations so what do you mean you don't know my question you can't you see? call a mitzvah greater just because it has the tzihi of misa or whatever 
the well, then now you're saying. Again, again, we don't know the criteria of what determines a greater mitzvah or lesser mitzvah. So when that Mishnah says, you know, treat each one equally, because we don't know the real criteria in terms of the mitzvah itself. But there are differences. You know, there are mitzvahs which, which we can see clearly are greater. One of the ways you just mentioned is by looking at the oinish, the punishment if you don't do it. I would imagine that a mitzvah that you have to get skilo, avera, you know, you get stoned to death, it's much worse than a mitzvah, right, that you didn't do an avera, let's say, right, that you only get lashes. Yes. Marcus. says that's the criteria. That's the criteria for los you know, which ones are worse. Yeah. Yeah. There are three you know. that you're supposed to give up your life. Yeah, so obviously, yeah. No, no. So that would mean, obviously, that they are of extreme importance. Yeah. So there are ways of judging, you know, which mitzvahs or averis are better or worse, you know. But as far as we're concerned, you know, it's very hard to determine why. Because the mitzvah itself is not just great or not great based on itself. But what's your self-sacrifice? Many people can do an Avera that has no weight at all because they had no free will. You see? Or a guy can do a mitzvah, a great mitzvah, right? But if his father, who is his Rebbe, was the God Hador, was the greatest man in the generation, it's nice, but... And then you compare a guy doing uh, Shabbos and his father, his mother... You know, all his relatives are absolutely atheists. And he decides to observe Shabbos. And that's an incredible Shabbos, right? We cannot measure that. So clearly that determines the quality. But obviously there are mitzvahs which are greater and less. And so on, you know. Um, it, and, and so on. That's an interesting concept, you know. I, 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 I don't want it to lead me it's going to lead me astray I gotta no anyway um, I, I just want to I'm trying to establish the principles you know that's more important than getting to this the exceptions you know but but clearly each mitzvah or vera each commandment or sin right um, has a quality and a quantity and there's criteria by how you can judge it and so on you know in the end, we cannot judge a mitzvah. You see, like it says in, in the Gemara Brochus, from tsaro agro. The reward of a mitzvah depends on the pain, tsaro. The pain means self-sacrifice. What do you got to give up to do this mitzvah? Not only that, what's your background? What's your background? In what context was this mitzvah avera done? You see, context the weight of the mitzvah itself, the self-sacrifice, all of that, right, determines the value. Let's use that idea, that word, right? What's the value of the mitzvah? Quantitatively, qualitatively, the background, the context, the self-sacrifice, the mitzvah itself, how are you going to weigh that? You can't. You know, like I say, two people can do the identical sin, one sin, and the other didn't sin because he had no free will because he doesn't know what you're talking about. I didn't know there was such a thing, you know. And the same thing with mitzvah. One could do a mitzvah, two people, right? 
One is rewarded with an incredible reward, and the other is rewarded with much less, and so on. We cannot make that determination. But in the end, God can, does, make that evaluation, right? And in the end, He will look at your sins and averus, right? And He doesn't look at it at the end of the life. You see, it doesn't wait that long. He looks at it on a yearly basis. See, on Rosh Hashanah. That's what He looks like. He looks. Okay, what was the majority of what He did? And remember, we cannot determine the majority. We certainly can't determine, right? Because we can't determine the value of any sin or mitzvah, really. I mean, in a certain sense, we can get a feel of it, you know, but nowhere near with the precision that God does. And based on that, God will now render judgment or consequences. That's a very important concept. So that, remember, what gets into Oilam Habo's majority what gets you out of Ilm Haba, the future world, which is annihilation, is the minority. Got that? Or is a majority also. Exactly. That's the rule. Okay? A very important idea. <coughs> Let me tell you, you know, an interesting, very interesting story, you know, that illustrates this, okay? <coughs> there was a, a Rebbe, a Hasidic Rebbe called Yisrael Merizhin. Very great man, you know? So he once went to a... Uh, he used to travel around. The, uh, the original Hasidim. And he, Rabbi Shul Merishim, well, I think it was a great-great-grandson or grandson of the Mizritcha Magid, who's the major student of the Balchemtov. Anyway, so he used to travel. He once came to a town, uh, and uh, there was a chassid of his that he was very wealthy, and he took him in, and, you know, he stayed there for a couple of weeks, you know. And of course, while he was there, right, thousand Hasidim packed in to see the Rebbe you know and after two weeks of thou a thousand guys walked in and out of that house you know and Europe you know the roads weren't really paved in those days it's a long time ago you know they wrecked his house his magnificent carpets his wallpapered walls you know his I mean he has an exquisite house it looked like a you know it looked like a sukkah Anyway, so the Rebbe, so the original Rebbe, so he was going to leave, right? So he, he wanted to thank the guy, of course, profusely. And he saw that the guy was very, very sad. You know? So he says, well, like, what's the problem? You know? He says, I'll tell you, Rebbe, you know, it was an incredible pleasure <coughs> having you here. I'm going to take a look at my house. You know? You don't have any idea what my repair bill is going to look like. Or just to look at this house, you know? And so the original said, let me tell you something. And he gave him a marshal, which means a story, you know? He said, there used to be a guy, a tremendous rusher, really a really, really a bad guy. And he clearly had the majority of sins, you know? <coughs> and so on, you know? <clears throat> and then, uh, and he was a wagon driver. He used to, you know, in the old days, today they have him car services. Well, he was the car service, but it was a wagon. Not a, not a car, you know. Anyway, you take people around, you know. That's how you earn this living, you know. Um, so one day, I think I'm making a mistake. No, there was a guy traveling with a car service, a wagon, right? Not this guy, forget the evil guy, right? 
and they, they were riding and uh, many in, in Europe in those days you know if it rained bad like like you know what's happening out there in nor'easter you know the roads were incredibly muddy right so he was riding and all of a sudden the wagon went into a whole mud pile and it got stuck that was it you know and the wagon driver and the and the guy a guy they got out and they're trying to move the wagon it just is not moving it's really stuck in the mud you know <coughs> they don't want to do okay all of a sudden this other guy and he's the bad guy he's coming along right and he sees these two guys they're stuck in the mud you know what i'm saying so for whatever reason he said okay i'll lend a hand you know out of character you know he lent a hand right so what happened they try to move the wagon no shove the wagon no right finally the guy said you know what i'm gonna do you know so the guy got underneath the wagon and he lifted it you know and the other two guys were going to push it and get out of the mud you know i could imagine lifting a wagon you know it's, uh so he lifted it and he lifted lifted and the other two guys pushed it right out of the mud wow you know incredible and they continued on their way and he continued doing what he does which is bad guy you know two weeks later he died the bad guy and he was in heaven right and the reason is saying this you know and it was in tremendous judgment what is the majority right because that's the way it works <coughs> the majority right so it was a tremendous dintera right and the the the, the prosecuting attorney he said forget about it you know and they took all the sins of this guy and all the mitzvahs whatever he did right and they put it on a balancing scale and the majority went like the majority went down and the minority went up bad news right and i mean you know the guys it, it's over with forget it right so the malach said wait a minute there was this good deed that he once did what was that he helped these guys out of the mud right how the guys out of the mud you know so wait a minute so you got to weigh that you know so they took that mitzvah of chesed that's what it was right and so on and of course they had that on the scale and the scale right slightly went up it went up a little that means the bad was less right and the mitzvahs went down because it was going to go right you know and, but it wasn't enough so then the malach said but wait a minute wait a minute you know uh, what about the weight of the wagon? What about the, the mud that he got on his clothing? I mean, all his, he was caked with mud after he finished with that, you know? So they took all the mud, right? However it's represented up there, the mud, right? And they put it on a scale. Guess what? You know, when you add it, that's called the mysterious nefesh, the self-sacrifice, right? Then the, the, the bad stuff, right? And with this stuff, right, really went up a lot. When you took that, Messias Nefesh, it really, you know, and it wasn't that far away, but it wasn't enough, right? Because the majority was still the evil, you know? So then the Malach said, wait a minute. So we put all the mud there, right? And so on, you know? But wait a minute. What about the weight of the wagon? You used to lift that wagon, you know? It's one thing to lift a, what? A hundred pound wagon. But what happens if the wagon is 500 pounds? You have any kind of strain that is? So they took the whole wagon. 
whatever the wagon was, you know, took the whole wagon and they put it on the mitzvah side. You know what I'm saying? On the mitzvah side, and all of a sudden, it tipped. You see? And the guy got into Ilam Habo. That's what the originist said. He said, look, the mitzvah you did was chesed. You allowed all the chassidim to come, to speak to me, to see a tish, you know what I'm saying? To get an aliyah of ruchnius, a spiritual elevation, you know? But what did it take? It took your destroyed wallpaper, right? Your carpet in shreds. So in the Yenavel, don't worry, you know? You're gonna get to Yenavel, right? You never know. If your bed goes down and you're good, you know, they're gonna take your carpets, right? And they're gonna take your wallpaper, right? And everything else, that's a shambles, right? And gonna put it to the, to, to the scale and you will see that's what's gonna save you. That's what he said. And that's the concept of the value of a mitzvah, you see? And it does, because we can only look at the objective mitzvah itself. But that's a mistake. You gotta, the heaven God looks at everything that you do, everything the complete value, however, of the mitzvah. However, in the end, whatever the value is, the majority gets you in, and the minority, uh, a majority gets you in, depending on which class. But, there's a problem here. What do you do with the minority? Now, one possibility is you ignore it. Forget about it, that's all, right? You do the majority, if it's good, you get into Ilam Haba. I, there's a whole minority of sins. Ignore it, right? And so on. But you can't ignore a minority. Either way. Because that's not justice. Justice must reward everything you did. It must give you, there must be a consequence to every deed you did. So therefore the minority has to be considered. You see, cannot be dismissed. Uh, so, if it's a person who's a tzaddik because he has a majority of good deeds, of mitzvahs, right? What do you do with the minority of sins? It's got to be atoned for. Too bad. If, however, you're a Russia, right? And the majority of your deeds are sins, yes? Then the minority are what? Mitzvahs. They also have to be rewarded. Now, a person can say, wait a minute, why not just have one against the other and one can't... In other words, so the sins will deduce, deduct the amount of mitzvahs, right? Or vice versa. You know what I'm saying? The guy has a lot of sins, so let the mitzvahs deduct the amount of sins and balance it out that way. Can't do that. You can't deduct from one to the other. Each thing justice demands requires either atonement or reward. You see? And that's the way it works. And therefore, this world basically runs this way. This world is basically a world of test. You know? Are you going to do good or bad in the broadest terms? The second thing is that, right? That whatever you do do, whatever the majority, that'll get you either into Ilam Habra or get you into annihilation, non-existence. However, <clears throat> In this world, there must be some type of vehicle or device that will deal with the minority. And therefore, the second thing that happens in this world is the minority. What happens? So if a person is righteous, which means that the majority of his deeds is what? 
is righteous, then the minority must be dealt with in this world. <coughs> Why? Because the future world must be perfect. You, the only thing that can go on in the future world is infinite reward eternally. It cannot in any way be marred by sins. You see? Therefore, a tzaddik must atone for in this world. You've got to get rid of it in this world. You see? And on the other side, if a person has a majority of evil deeds, whatever determines their value, right? Well, fine, so he's annihilated. But what about all the good deeds? Everybody does a good deed. You see? Take, for instance, I mean, the worst person of all, right? Let's say the Nazis, the mum, right? That killed hundreds of thousands of Jews, right? But millions. millions. I mean, I'm just an individual, you know, you know, and so on, you know, right? But even a Nazi has done good do deeds, right? What happens if his mother called him and he said, hi, Ma? You know what I'm saying? keep it of aim, even by a guy. What's the difference, right? It's a good deed. Or, for instance, he had a parakeet. And he fed his parakeet, right? He killed a Jew, but he fed his parakeet, right? Yeah, I mean, be kind to you, right? That's Sabal Echayim. And, 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 and as absurd as it sounds, he has to be rewarded for that good deed, no matter what evil he did. So therefore, his majority, which is evil, he's destined for annihilation, you see? But, but it's more than just annihilation, don't get me wrong. He has to atone for all the evil and then be annihilated. It's not that he, you know, annihilation and then, uh, yeah, but all the evil he did is, is not compensated. No. He has to suffer and atone for every single evil that he did. We cannot imagine what that means. I mean, you take a guy who are the most evil people in this world. Hitler, Yamach Shemai V'Zichroi. Stalin, Yamach Shemai V'Zichroi. Mao Tse Dung, Mao Tse, who, who killed hundreds of thousands, millions of Chinese. We, we cannot imagine, but in the end, they must undo the evil. And then they're annihilated. Because that depends on the majority. So don't think they can get off, you know. Uh, but in that sense, there has to be a place that will either reward you for the minority, right? Or atone for the minority. This world is that place. You see? So in a certain sense, this place is a finishing school. That's what it does. You need to decide what your majority is, right? <clears throat> and the minority has to be determined. And so if you're a tzaddik, so the major minority, which is the bad deeds you think, must be atoned. But since you have a majority of good, you will get into the future world. Got it? Wait. If you, are, however, are evil and your majority deeds are evil, right, then what's going to happen, right, is that determines annihilation. And also, you have to atone for all the evil deeds before you get annihilated, right? Yeah, so it's, uh, there's no justice. You know, big deal. He got, he got away scot-free. Why? Because he was annihilated. Okay. But what about all the, you know, obviously it's ridiculous, you know. But he has to be rewarded for the good that he did, no matter how minute. You see? Uh, so that's what this world is. This world is basically a world of test, which is going to be the majority, A. And the second thing is that the minority must be dealt with in this world. And that is the principle of what determines the gratifications, the successes of a person in this world. And that's also what determines 
the sufferings. Very important principle, you see. <clears throat> now, that's the general principle. You see how it works? Majority determines, right? The minority has to be dealt with in this world. Either they have to be rewarded here, A, and then you suffer, atone, then you annihilate, or you must suffer in this world <coughs> in whatever way, and so on and so on, and that removes your sins, whatever, then you get Oilam Habo, the future world, for eternity. So that is the basic formula of the consequences of God. He evaluates, as I said, everything, <coughs> every nanosecond. <coughs> you see, because there's no such thing as, you know, uh, three hours goes by and you did nothing. There's no such thing. You see, that's what I'm trying to point out. And it depends on the majority, okay? And that's basically how this world runs. It's a very important idea. And what you now understand is this is what determines the successes, right? The satisfactions, and it determines the, you know, the uh, tragedies and the catastrophes and the sufferings. All of that is determined by who you are. Listen, you know, you have to hope that your majority is what gets you in. Now, I want to tell you one thing, which is very important. It's a rivad. Rivad, I think, is about Plukt of the Rambam. You know, this is a very interesting thing, fascinating, and it's worthwhile to know that. He says on Rosh Hashanah, you know, <coughs> on Rosh Hashanah, so we think, well, God's going to decide. Majority, minority, you know, and all that, right? And that will determine many things. It also determines, of course, your, uh, what do you call it? Your test situation. I once gave all Rosh Hashanah. But he says something very fascinating. Uh, he says that what determines if you will live or die, okay, I mean, in, in, gen in general, is not the amount of deeds you did. It's who you are and what, you, what direction you're headed. There are many people that sin, but really they're incredible people. They do many mitzvahs. They want to get close to God. They want to do <coughs> mitzvahs. But for, for some reason, they're just not going. But as they say in English, their heart is in the right place. He says, these people, that's what determines what happens to this guy, you see. And this type of person, God will determine that he will live or whatever. Then there are guys who are heart is in the wrong place. But every once in a while, they, by mistake, they do a good deed. You see, that's what determines. So what he says is that a guy can have the majority of sins. You see, like he says this. But if their heart is in the right place, if they want to get close to God, you see, if that's the road they're on, then it doesn't make a difference that the majority of that year is sin sinful. They will live. It's an amazing statement that he says. The Bosham looks at the heart of a person. What does he really want? And if God sees that what he really wants, he wants to be spiritual, right? He wants to be close to God. But for, one, for whatever reason, his Yetzirah is just not letting him alone. He's just not making it, right? Of course it matters. But that's the essential idea that God looks at. Where is this guy's heart, really? Where is his mind? And so on. That's what God looks at. You see, it's a very important concept. You know, and there are many people whose heart is in the right place. They really want to do mitzvahs. 
they want to be good, they want to be ethical and moral, and they try. Except, unfortunately, we know there's the Yetzirah. There's tremendous amount of temptations, right, <coughs> and evil inclinations, and people fall. They fall all the time, especially depending on where you live. You know what I'm saying? You know, in the olden days, you used to live in a ghetto. You know, one was the, it was much harder to sin because you didn't have the opportunities to sin. Today, okay, Lakewood is a little better, but you go, you know, if you've got to work in Wall Street area every day, or you've got to work in Midtown Manhattan, you're finished. As they say in English, your goose is cooked. Is that the way I say it? Your goose, you know what I'm saying? Forget about it. The amount of nisyonis per second is astounding in Manhattan or in many places, in city, you know? And, and therefore, you can take a guy with the best intentions and he can't, he just can't make it and so on and so forth, you know? So God doesn't look at the sins in the way that we think. He looks at the heart of a person, you see? And that's what determines where the guy winds up, which is interesting. So that's I'm telling you. Even if in the end of time, which is a Raivad, you know, he's a Rishan, even at the end of time, your majority of sins, so you think he's finished, right? Because that's the rule. That's not the way God looks at it. He doesn't look at the, necessarily, it's not the deeds or the acts itself, you know, that God looks in terms of a majority. You see, he looks at the heart and the mind behind the deed. And if he sees that you really want to be good, you're just not making it because you are stuck in a terrible situation and you can't do it, don't worry, you'll get into Ilam Haba. That's what the Ravid says. Isn't, isn't this Ravid <coughs> talking about the Dino Rosh Hashanah in regards to the following year, the Rosh Hashanah, the Dino Yom Kippur, the Rosh Hashanah is still based on good <coughs> Yeah, but apparently, based on that Ravid, what it means is that <coughs> It is the mindset behind the deed that is critical. That's the, that's the primary concern. <clears throat> a guy can do an Avera and feel terrible while he's doing the Avera. Think about that. There are guys that do an Avera with gusto. Say, wow. You know what I'm saying? There are people that do that. I mean, they're, not only are they in it, but they love what they're doing. You know? But there are many people that are good people. And even if they do something that they know is wrong, their heart's not in it, but they're schlepped to do it. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to do it, but it's very hard to overcome, whether it be habit, whether it be temptations, and so on and so forth. So it's not like they want to run to do it. We don't realize that a great deal of what people do, you know, you know there's something behind it called the mind or the will. You know what I'm saying? And that's critical, Contest Rivad. You know, the will in many things that we do, even if they're bad, and we know they're bad, and we know they're, whether it be evil or they're sins or whatever, but the will isn't there, you see, even though the habit is there, and we're doing it, because we're prisoners in many ways of the Eight Sahara. God looks at the mind. He looks at the heart. And we are talking about an infinite God, an infinitely merciful God. You have to understand that. It's not like God. God doesn't play gotcha. Ah, gotcha. That's not what he plays. You know what I'm saying? He looks at the mind and the heart of a person. 
even when he's doing the Avera. And apparently, <clears throat> this is what counts. And therefore, maybe, we, we tend to look at the deed. But I said, the deed itself has many things in it, right? It's got the value of the sin. It's got the context. It's got a lot of stuff. But it also has the mind and the will of a person. God looks at that also. Very important idea. And this is all part of the majority and the minority. So what the rival is saying, even if the majority of the deeds, the acts are bad, right? But remember, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. You know, what was the context that this was done? And so on. You know, part of it is what's the will and the heart, the, 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 the value that what he's doing has to the guy. You see? And that is a great deal of the value placed on a sin. So even if you counted up numerically all the sins, that would outweigh the mitzvahs. Yes. However, when you look at different dimensions of that deed, right, which is the person's mind and will doing that, that can remove the fact that this is a majority, reduce the whole thing, and if the person, when he does a mitzvah, feels good and he's glad, right? Even if the mitzvah is a low threshold mitzvah, let's say, right? That will enormously magnify the mitzvah. So it's impossible really for us to determine majority and minority because there are so many different variables. That's what, that, what you see from that rivad, which is a rivad, Avram ben David. There are several, actually he's called by the, the acronym of his name, Rabbi Avram ben David. And uh, there's, there are three of them, I think. One of them is called the Baplukta of the Rambam. Uh, but I think it could be the Baplukta of the Rambam means the one who was the crit critique on the Rambam, Maimonides. There's a Raivad there, you know. So but there are several Raivads. 12th, 13th century? Yeah, 12th, 12th century. Actually, not 12th. 12th century is... Um, 1100? Um, yeah. 11, 1200, yeah. yeah Long time ago. Yeah, Any questions? Yeah. No, because here's where you can earn everything. Okay, no, it doesn't mean reward. It means the value of Ulam Hazer is greater than Ulam Habo. Because here is where you make the money. Ulam Habo, the experience of Ulam Habo is infinitely greater than the experience of this world. But the value of this world, in the sense that here's where you make the money, is infinitely great, and then you spend it. Exactly. What? You can't cash the check here. You gotta wait. You can't cash the check here. Nobody will accept your checks. Any other questions? Yeah. Wait, 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 you got, what? Any general questions? I want to ask some general questions. So at the end of time, the tikkun, the 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 din, the ultimate din. Yeah. That's going to be pretty simple because by that time everything's already pretty much balanced out. <coughs> well, that's yeah. In other words, it's either good or bad because everything's already been misuken. So a person is either all good or all bad at that point. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> In Olam Haba, you must be perfected. The last din is really just saying, okay, you're good, you're bad, you're good, you're bad, because there's no more tikkun left. 
No, exactly. Well, yeah, you're judged based on all the act, all the acts that you did. No, all, everything's the, the account has already been balanced. Yeah. The books have already been balanced. Correct. The end of the line. Yeah, because either you got rewarded for the what, yeah, or, or you or you got punished. You got atoned. Yeah. Maybe why it's Ayn Benar because it's like either one or the other. Yeah, you 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 are perfect when you get to Ilmabo. Well, or or or, or lack thereof. One of the things, what is the thing about uh, uh, that uh, that Yidden call Yisrael Yishlam Chelik Olam Haba? Yes. What so I understood that mean that they have they start with at least a foot in the door. So they uh, what that means is they have the capacity to get Olam Haba. Now you got to build your building on it. You don't want to have Olam Haba with a shack. Okay, so let's. You want to have Olam Haba with a palace, I right? Yeah, but a true, a true living in Yehovitz, right? Theoretically. Who? In Yehopitz. What about Yehopitz? Wherever. He doesn't know anything, and he doesn't necessarily do an Averis, but he doesn't do mitzvahs. He doesn't necessarily build his own hamba. Okay. No such thing. No such thing. <coughs> no well, what you really want to ask, what about Russia? What? You ask about Russia? Go forget about Yehopitz. Is it a Russia included in Kolish Yehoshim Chalik? Yeah. No, he's not a Russian ah, until he's got to be born. I mean, when a guy's born, he is a member, he has the oh, right, wow. he has, yeah, he's in the Olim Habo Club, means you have a, you, he means you have the capacity to be an Olim Habo. Now let's see what you do. But a guy also has the capacity technically to be, come, to get into Olim Habo. Correct. So That's right. The difference between the Jew and the guy, but a guy is just much harder. That's all it is. Well, a Jew can build his Olim Habo by his mitzvahs. A goy can to a certain extent, but he has to assist the Jew. If he's righteous, if a goy is righteous, right, but he does not in any way assist the Jew at all, right, he will get his oilam haze, yes. He'll get incredible reward here. But to get oilam habo, you have to so do have to something to some aspect of tikkun, correct. It's not to enough become, to do good he deeds. To ben, he has to become a Ben Olam Haba somehow. In some way, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you latch on in some way, and, and God can look for ways, like, you know, Goy, let's say, he built a hospital, right? He gave a donation to a hospital, right? And some Jew... No, nah, but that's obvious, you know? That's a direct contact with a Jew. But let's say a guy builds a donations to a hospital, right? And a Jew happens to use the room that this guy donated, Right? right. There you are. He, he will get Oilamabo. You see? It's got to have some... It's not so much the Jew. It's the Tikkun. The Goy has to have some connection to the rectification of creation. You see? In some way. And that's his Oilamabo. If he doesn't, but he's righteous, he will be rewarded here. He's still Oilam He's an Oilam yes. But in some way. That's why somebody asked me last week, what can Jeff Bezos of Amazon do? <coughs> I said, if he was smart, he would call the Jews and say, what can I do for you guys? Because his $120, 30000000000 billion, 160 billion, whatever it is, right, will get him nowhere after he's dead. It's astounding, you know? But if in some way he contributes to the well-being and the welfare of the Tikkun process, Remember. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. If Jews make a panosa, a livelihood, because they're selling on Amazon, yeah, 
And therefore, as a result of that... He it for the Jews. He meant it for himself. Fine. Yeah, I know, I know, yeah. Yeah, okay, it depends what God, how he decides. But he is assisting, that's motive. But he is in some way assisting, you know. <coughs> Look, I would imagine, you know... Wait, according to your anyway. formula, his billions, he's getting rewarded in Olam Hazeh for, for any good he did. Maybe. So when he goes to uh, get the final judgment, he got nothing. He, he got he may. for great worry because he got rewarded for any good he did. That's what you said. <coughs> okay. Yes, you're right. That, that may be why he may have done tremendous good 500 years ago. And God says, you're not getting the future world, but you did a lot of good. I'm going to make you a multi zillionaire. Yeah. So he may be using the all. Powerball and the half billion, I got cause for great work next week, right? No, don't worry about it. No, you can use it. For, you can use it for great good. Hypercell. It's empowering you to become. Yeah. Doesn't make a difference. You still can use that for great good. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Yeah. What? General. 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 Quickie. Oh, just said General. Where did Biller and Zilpa, where did they come in? If the Leia, the Emos, if Leia and Bracha was supposed to have the top 12 Shvatim, so how does suddenly Biller, I don't understand, they're hardly mentioned, Biller, the Emos, you see Mechelin, Kisar, River, Bracha, how come Biller and Zilpa, the four Shvatim came from them? We don't hear about them. Well, Bill and Zilpa, uh, if I remember correctly, the Medra says they are really the sister of Rachel and Leah. Yeah, so they were sisters, right, so you know. Uh, you know, within a family, some people are chosen, <coughs> you know. I mean, they were obviously chosen because they are part of the Imos, in that sense. But we don't mention them. No, the because, because they, are not power, they are not part of the Shrushim, the roots of the Jewish people. Even though, right, because in their sense, Yaakov was the Shurish. Yaakov is the one who, you know, empowered or gave uh, greatness to the Shvatim, not them. But in the case of Rochel and Leah, they were part of what's called the Shrushim, the roots of the Jewish people. Not Leah, Bill and Zilpah. In their sense, it was Yaakov that was the Shurish, you know. But they were the sisters of uh, Rochel and Leah. Yeah. Anyway. How come Mashiach and Yosef, the Chazal didn't put that in the Shmonas, right? <laughs> it is. It is. The, 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 the obvious answer to that is because Meshach Ben Yosef is part of the process of the end. Meshach Ben David is the end. The ultimate. He's the, ultimate. He's the end. That's why we talk about Meshach Ben David, not Meshach Ben Yosef, because he's part of the end process. You know what I'm saying? But the Ari says when it says Esemach David, the offspring of David, right? So normally you would learn it's Mashiach ben David, right? He's the offspring of David, but the, the Ari says that really refers to Mashiach ben Yosef. It's Semach, yeah. It's ben Yosef. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Where's the Mida connected Mida? Not a Well, you know, I'd much rather be unhappy with 160 billion than be unhappy without it. <laughs> Think about that. I'll be unhappy, fine. But I'd much rather be with 160 billion. That's it. Look, it means something. Let's face it.
You know what it is to have that kind of money? Nobody knows what that is. Because whatever money can buy, you have. It's what it is. There is absolutely no limitation. You can even pay your property tax. <laughs> In Lakewood, right? <laughs> Don't worry, it's climbing fast. Yeah. You know, at this rate, you can, everybody will all have to be Jeff Bezos to pay our property tax. But anyway, <clears throat> um, you know. Okay, any other question? And we'll continue. Now we understand the principle. And the concept of the minority is really what this world has to deal with, you know. And then we'll understand, well, now what does God do? We're getting a feel of what, what, what determines the conduct of God in terms of his consequences, that topic area of Hashkafa. Anybody suffering in this world is obviously a Talik. Because if he was a Russia, or he never did a good deal in it, or he never did a good deal in his life. <clears throat> because a Russia that did one good deed would not be suffering. No, even a Russia could suffer to stop him from doing more evil. Right? I mean, how much evil, you know, a Russia has a certain limit of evil he can do, you know? Or else, uh, like, forget it, you, know, you can't stop these guys, right? So the Russia may stop him by giving him Yisurin, you know, it'll have kapora consequences also, but it'll stop him from doing the evil, or else this guy would really go crazy. So there's really more variants. Yeah, oh, yeah, variants. The, of course. Yeah, and we're going to deal with the different uh, you know, variations and specifics and specialties. and It's very complicated, you know. <laughs> you got to be good. Yeah. 